This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Every year, people go missing in national and state parks. Many of them are found, some alive, some sadly dead. However, sometimes there is no trace at all. It leaves you to wonder who or what might be taking people if there's nothing left behind. Welcome back to Unexplained Encounters. I'm your host, Darkness Prevails. Today's episode features scary state park stories and horrifying hiker confessions. After all, some very mysterious and scary things go down in the wilderness. Enjoy these stories and don't forget to send me your alleged sea monster encounters at darkstories.org for a future episode. Thank you. By the way, this show is part of the EerieCast Podcast Network, the home of some very scary shows. You can go to EerieCast.com to check out more creepy content, such as Freaky Folklore, a podcast about your favorite monsters, myths, and legends, and Redwood Bureau a fictional anthology series that's like a mix between X-Files and SCP, both of which can be found on Spotify and Apple Podcasts. Now, let's begin. What we found in the forest from Anonymous. This story takes place nine years ago when I was 15. I live in a small town in Northwest North Carolina Myself, my dad, mom, and younger brother had just moved into a new house. I loved where we lived because it was a lot more rural than our previous house was. Plus, it was right down the street from my grandma's where my dad grew up. We got to know our new neighbors a little, what few there were, like the guy who lived across the street from us named Dan. I say across the street, but in reality, it was down a gravel driveway about half a mile into the woods. He offered to let me go hunting and hiking on his property. He owned quite a bit of forested land. Being from the Southeast United States, I loved the outdoors, hiking and hunting especially. It's sort of a part of you when you live down here. One Saturday morning, I was able to convince my younger brother, who was 11 at the time, to go exploring through the woods with me. He was nowhere near as interested as me, but he would eventually agree. We told our parents where we were headed off to. They knew Dan and they agreed we could go, but gave us a time limit for when we had to be back home. I grabbed my binoculars, jacket, and blaze orange hat. This was just before cell phones got really popular, so I didn't have one just yet. Not that it would have helped much anyway. We set off down Dan's driveway. Once we were at his house, we let him know we were going for a little hike. He said to be careful. We thanked him and started off into the forest. 
The area I live in is very hilly, so hiking was tough going, but worth it. An hour into the hike, we walked up on a small but distinctive path that seemed to go on for a while. Feeling a bit nervous, but also curious, we decided to check it out. Heck, it was at least a break from the brush. We began walking down this winding path through the thick pine trees. Roughly 15 minutes into taking this path, we noticed a deer stand with camouflage netting around it. Now, it was early October, so immediately, I was happy to wear my blaze orange hat. You see, the season for hunting deer starts in late September here, so as a precaution, you wear an article of orange clothing to make yourself stand out, as to not be mistaken for an animal. Well, being curious young teenagers, we decided to check it out. I climbed up first. It must have been about 20 feet up in the tree. When I got to the actual stand, luckily it was empty. I sat down and could just barely make out what appeared to be a house about 300 yards further into the woods. Blown away by this, I told my brother I wanted to take a closer look. He was a little apprehensive at first, but eventually he agreed. When we were about 100 yards out, we came up on a rundown jeep off the side of the path. I have no idea how the heck it got all the way out there. Beyond that, straight up a large bank, there was the quote-unquote house. I'm using that term loosely as it was basically a shack. There were what appeared to be newspapers plastered all over every window and tape over the screen door. A blue tarp covered parts of the roof. There was an old run-down kid's swing set off to the side, rusted into pieces. Standing there looking around, I began to smell something coming from near the house. Now, it wasn't a dead body kind of smell like roadkill, but just a very strange smell that I couldn't describe. Visibly shaken, my brother was urging me to go back home, as it was nearing the time we'd have to head back in order to make it home before curfew. I began to slowly walk around this creepy shack. When we got to the rear of the building, I could see a small camper, with an old-looking pickup truck parked near it, several 50-gallon steel barrels sitting all around, hoses, some backpacks, and a few coolers. There was a plume of smoke coming from the small camper, which is where I could tell the smell was coming from, and that smell was very strong at this point. Not seeing any people yet, I crept about 50 yards closer and could just make out two loud male voices coming from the camper. As I sat there with my binoculars, trying to figure out what was going on, it hit me like a sack of bricks. All the evidence pointed to some sort of illegal operation. If you catch my drift, my guess was they were making a certain substance. Coming to this realization of how much immediate danger we might be in, I turned to my brother and said in a calm voice, trying not to scare him, We need to leave right now. Slowly, back out the way we came, and then run. As we started to turn around, I heard a loud yell coming from one of the men at the camper. I turned and I saw him looking right at me. He was pointing. I figured we were far enough away the foliage would hide us, but then I remembered I was wearing that bright orange hat. I quickly stuffed it into my jacket pocket and looked up to see both men yelling and now waving guns around. At this point, I said screw the subtle tactics. We stood up and bolted. To my terror, I began to hear a dog barking and I turned to see a huge dog, 
I'm guessing a Rottweiler by the color and shape. The men grabbed the chain it was on and began to head in our direction. The dog barked loudly and the men waved guns around, saying all kinds of insane things. I remember looking down at my brother's face while we were running from those maniacs and their dog. He was in absolute shock now. Realizing that eventually the men with the dog would catch up to us and do God knows what, I went into survival mode and told my younger brother that we're going to have to hide in order to get away from them. We ran a little further and came up on a downed large oak tree off the side of the cleared path. Thinking swiftly, I told my brother to tuck himself as close up against the tree as he could and to be absolutely silent. He did so. I turned and ran faster than I ever had before to the edge of the creek. I tossed my bright orange hat to the other side of it and then went back to the tree. I tucked in right in front of my brother, quickly tossing leaves and sticks over us. We sat there, horrified, just waiting. We could hear their screaming and barking getting closer and closer, but to our relief, they passed right by us, heading down to the creek. Being that the men were only about 30 yards away, I could make out the guy holding the dog's chain. He was tall, with lots of hair and a huge gray-black beard. He was wearing overalls. They spotted my hat and hopped across the creek. The shorter man then picked up my hat and said something along the lines of, They can't be far. We were on top of them. Luckily, they both started off in the opposite direction of the way we needed to get back home. We waited a few more minutes until we could no longer hear their footsteps. Then, the two of us stood up and ran as fast as humanly possible through that terrain. It took us over an hour just to get back to my neighbor's house. He was outside working in his barn. When he saw our faces, I'm guessing he knew something was very wrong. He offered to give us a lift back up to our house, and we quickly accepted not saying a word about what happened. I know this is a cliché, but we ended up keeping the whole thing a secret until years later, in fear that if we told anyone, we would get in trouble, and I'd never be allowed to go hiking or hunting again. Ignorant as heck, I know, but hey, we were dumb kids. A couple of years back, I told the whole story to my dad and my neighbor. My parents are divorced now. They were overall concerned, but chalked it up to us being kids and how it was most likely other hunters. This wasn't the case. I know what we saw, and it wasn't other hunters. It was a couple of very dangerous men who had no problem with chasing down two children with firearms. I believe we're lucky to have made it back. I found new hunting land because the land has since been bought up by developers and the trees have been logged. It's barren right now but the county is in the process of building large homes on the site. All I can say is, hiking and being outdoors is fun and an important part of life. Just adventure with caution. The Hidden Pond From Lawn I never really started taking hikes through the woods until my family adopted a dog when I was around 16. She was a yellow Labrador retriever and was always eager to go outside, and since we lived in a small country town, I'd often take her on dirt paths through the forest. But after nearly a year of walking the same routes over and over again, 
I began to wander more and more off the beaten trail. This led me to explore wide open fields, hidden meadows, and evergreen woods with the forest floor covered in dead pine needles. My dog was always beyond ecstatic to explore those areas, and frankly, I enjoyed it too. Then there came a day when our little adventures brought us to a rather unexpected spot deep in the woods. It was a pond, no larger than maybe 60 or 70 feet across, but entirely dark. There were no croaking toads to be heard, and it was perfectly still, like a mirror. The only thing I could see in that body of water was a large dead tree branch sticking out of its center like some sort of twisted limb. It was a mystical sight, and I spent some time quietly admiring it, standing as close as I dared, due to the surrounding soil being extremely muddy the closer you got to the dark pond. While I was enjoying myself, my dog wasn't. She kept whimpering, quickly moving back and forth along the pond's edge, sniffing loudly. I assumed it was the water itself that she was unhappy with, as she would often whine whenever I tried giving her a bath. But after a few minutes, she gave off a terrifying bark, the kind that hurts the ears with how high-pitched it is. I snapped at her to quiet down, but that only seemed to aggravate her more as she moved behind me and began to bark again. Hey, I said, turning my head away from the pond and towards the dog, concerned that someone might hear her. After all, this was far out in the middle of nowhere, and I had no idea if we were trespassing on private property. That's when it happened. Belle, my dog, went stock still and stared right past me towards the pond, ears perked up on high alert. Then, I heard something move in the water. I spun back around, but only saw a sizable ripple disturb the surface of the dark water. The dead tree branch was gone. I stepped closer to the edge and stared. Sometimes the mind does play tricks, I'll admit. You see something you can't quite make out, so your brain unintentionally fills in the missing details. Maybe I wanted to see a pale, lifeless face staring back up at me from that murky depth. Perhaps deep down I found the idea of a drowned figure beckoning to me intriguing. Maybe all I saw was the shadowy outline of the dead tree branch under the surface and a faint reflection of the light breaking through the canopy overhead. But whatever it truly was, I ran, dead twigs snapping and crunching beneath my feet, bell at my side, and I never did look behind me, because I was convinced that if I did, I would see it standing next to that dark pond, staring back. Walkie-talkies in the woods From Jack 36 I recall a time back in the days when I was a kid. It may have not been the scariest experience I've had, but it certainly was bizarre in nature and makes me seriously question reality. Since I've become an adult, I haven't been hiking or exploring nearly as often for pretty obvious reasons. Having a job, tending to family, etc. I still try to go out every once in a while and when I do, it brings back so much nostalgia. I've tried my best not to think about the bad experiences I've had out in the woods, but sometimes I can't help myself. Just a few days ago when I was driving to get groceries, I went through a tunnel, and that's when my radio cut out. You know, the typical static you get when the broadcasting service isn't available, right? Well, there it was, as clear as ever. As I went through that tunnel, it gave me goosebumps. 
I had never been one for that sound to begin with. But it only became worse as I encountered a flashback so vivid from long ago when I was only 10 years old. This is where the real story begins. It was your typical weekend afternoon and I was with my friend Joe. We had been lifelong buddies to that point in time and we still continue to talk every now and then to this day. It was fall, so the leaves were in the process of changing color. It looked fantastic outside. We were in my backyard, admiring the forest that backed into my family's property. There was a vast amount of forest to explore back there, and we hadn't been through all of it just yet. We'd been obsessed with becoming army men back then, and we had the whole setup. Walkie-talkies, tactical pocket knives, camo backpacks, airsofts, and things of that nature. Joe interrupted the conversation we were having about my grade school crush, saying, Hey, look, if you ask her to marry you, I think she'll say yes. Does that make you happy? Just before suggesting we go play army in the forest. I grudgingly agreed, but at the same time, I knew playing army guys would be a lot of fun. Basically, it was just tactical hide-and-seek. But with our wild imaginations, it was so much more. Joe said he'd try to capture me first, and I said okay. I ran a good amount into the forest and found a tree to climb up. Nature sounds were all around me. It was so calming outside. I then turned my walkie-talkie on and waited for him to call in and let me know he was on his way to find me. I sat there for a while. I spotted a deer eating berries from a bush not too far off. It hadn't noticed me yet. I just sat there observing it. Suddenly, my walkie-talkie started to give off major amounts of static. Something had happened. I knew I hadn't switched to any other channel, and that I remained on the one with my friend. High-pitched sounds started to emanate from the walkie-talkie. I saw the deer perk up and run away. I was completely alone then. I was frightened at this point and wasn't exactly sure what to do. Goosebumps enveloped my body, I was frozen in fear as the static slowly subsided to give way to some sort of demonic howl. It lasted about three seconds. Then, all was silent. All of the wood's sounds were dead, and I heard absolutely nothing. I knew something was wrong, and I had to get out of there. As spontaneous as the static came, it had left, all at once. I turned off the walkie-talkie, jumped off the tree, and made a run for it back to my house. Joe was waiting for me there, a look of concern on his face. My parents were outside, visibly hysterical, phone in hand. They had called the police to send someone over to help locate me. As I ran out of the tree line towards them, my parents ran up to hug me. I was scared and confused. My parents asked how I got lost in the woods. I sat there puzzled not knowing how to respond. All I could say was, I don't know. But apparently, I'd been gone for hours. Joe kept insisting that he had spoken through his walkie-talkie trying to contact me countless times. After a while, he had given up and went back to tell my parents. Although I was in a new part of the woods, I was successfully able to trace my way back. What confused me was how we were both notably on the same channel but I did not hear anything from him. What confused me any more was the time that I'd been out. I had no idea that I'd been out there that long. The time I'd been out felt so brief. Eventually, we cleared everything up with the police. 
My friend and I had a talk with my parents about not going in the forest again without supervision. And that was that. Only a week after that did Joe tell me something no one else knew. He said he didn't want to tell my parents because he was scared and didn't want to get in any trouble. He even had trouble bringing himself to tell me what he saw. Even though I never heard from him over the walkie-talkie, he claimed he saw someone who looked just like me. The figure's back was turned as Joe started running towards it. As he began to yell my name, whatever it was, took an impossibly huge step away from him. Joe stopped dead in his tracks. Whoever it was then turned around to face him and slightly waved, a grin on their face. He claimed it was me. The only notable difference was my eyes. They were black. At that point, an unexplainable feeling of dread washed over him. The figure who looked just like me stood there staring at my friend. Joe ran as fast as he could back to my house, not looking back. He told me he didn't think he was chased or followed. When he got to my house, he simply said I was lost and I wouldn't pick up the walkie-talkie. He never mentioned anything else out of fear of what would happen if he did. To this day, we've kept that between ourselves. We've never told another soul. I still have no idea what happened that day, and I'm sharing this story in hopes that at least one person might have the slightest idea of what occurred. Even though I came up with some theories, none of them seemed quite plausible. I stayed out of those woods for a while. I never really ventured deep within them after what happened that afternoon. I just couldn't bring myself to do it. My parents still live in that house. With my own priorities, I've not been able to visit them all too often, but the next time I do, I think I'm going to go back in and see if anything has changed, or if I can at least find anything that's not quite right in those woods. I say this now with confidence, and I hope I can keep that confidence the day that I venture back in, but I'm not entirely sure if I'll do it. If I do, and anything happens, I'll give an update. This episode is sponsored by June's Journey. Do you believe in monsters? And given the chance, would you be brave enough to track one down on your own? In June's Journey, people are the true monsters, and you can live the story yourself rather than sitting back and listening to one. June's Journey is a hidden object game with a thrilling murder mystery set in the Roaring Twenties. You play as June on the hunt for your sister's murderer, Discover clues through exciting hidden object scenes with beautiful and atmospheric illustrations and music. Victory brings you closer to new plot points and suspenseful answers. When not hunting for clues, you can customize your own luxurious estate island with gardens, buildings, and decor. Or chat and play with or against other players too in the Detective Club, where you could even put your skills to the test in the Detective League. June's journey is both relaxing and fun to play, with my busy schedule, I find it's the perfect game to pick up and play whenever I've got a free moment. It doesn't demand too much time, and it's pretty satisfying solving puzzles quickly and unlocking new clues. Can you crack the case? Download June's Journey for free today on iOS and Android. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? 
All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. The Wolf Whistler from Wicked Windigo. Quick preface. My uncle was a sheriff's deputy and search and rescue officer in the Northwest United States back in the 1990s. This experience is told from my uncle's view, with a few explanations for myself. He asked that I keep the location hidden for anonymity purposes. It was the summer of 1992. I was a couple years into my job with the county sheriff's office. Summers were busy, and a ton of people would go camping and hiking up here, so naturally people would occasionally get lost. Search and rescue was something I was voluntold to do as a rookie, but I learned to love it. Helping people, especially in life or death situations, was the reason I became a deputy. So search and rescue gave me that rush, as my normal law enforcement duties were almost always mundane in my small town. Anyway, here we go. We received a call from a lady in Arizona one Tuesday morning. She claimed her husband and young grandson had driven up here on Friday for a weekend camping trip. They hadn't returned on Monday as scheduled, and she was worried they were lost. So we geared up the search and rescue team consisting of myself, four other deputies, 15 civilian volunteers, and two bloodhound search and rescue dogs. We made it to their campsite around noon. Upon first inspection, everything in the camp seemed relatively normal. We searched their tent and found all their belongings sitting inside. Truck keys, wallet, map, water, food, all sat in the tent undisturbed. A small pot filled with water and now extra soggy macaroni noodles sat above a long dead fire pit. It was obvious they had left in a hurry. No tracks were visible to determine what direction they went. So we used a pair of socks we found inside the tent as a base smell for the hounds. They caught the scent and started leading us north of the campsite. As we walked, I looked at my partner and we both shook and lowered our heads. North of their campsite were tens of thousands of acres of dense woods. We knew this was going to be a long search. As we searched, we used a grid pattern. A grid pattern is roughly an acre-sized square on a map that Search and Rescue uses to determine a more precise direction that someone might have gone. The weirdest part was that the hounds would pick up their scent in one square, but none of the squares directly next to that one. This happened multiple times. It was like someone plucked these guys from their campsite and placed them in random sections of the forest, repeatedly. I began to get a very bad feeling after this, Something just didn't seem right about the situation. The team had covered roughly three miles of area as the day started to wind down. As dusk started to hit, it was just myself, my buddy Rob, and his hound, Russ, that stayed behind. The rest of the team made their way back home and would be back tomorrow by morning. I always stayed out overnight when a child was lost. I would get a feeling of guilt being in a warm, safe bed knowing a child was cold and scared out in the wilderness. We eventually found a small clearing to make camp. By the time night fell, we had a fire blazing and our sleeping bags were laid out in the grass. 
Rob and I went over tomorrow's search plan for a bit, ate dinner, and eventually hunkered down for the evening. I lay on my sleeping bag, admiring the incredible number of stars as I began to doze off. I remember waking up sometime later. I sat up and looked around as my eyes began to adjust to the darkness. I felt as if someone was watching me. The urge to look around to ensure no one was sneaking up on me was intense. I called out. Hello? Sam? Frank? Is that you? We're looking for you. Are you out there? I didn't hear any response, so I lay down and tried to fall back to sleep. Just a few minutes later, I heard it. Somewhere to my left past the tree line came a loud wolf whistle. A wolf whistle is the whistle you hear in movies or TV when a man sees a very attractive woman. I sprang out of my sleeping bag and began frantically scanning the tree line. At this point, Russ was up too. His ears were peaked and he was whining in the direction of the whistle. I called out again. Hello, I'm a deputy with the sheriff's office. Do you need help? Sam, Frank. I received no response. Rob was awake now, and as I was explaining the situation, the whistle came again, but this time, it was from our right. I drew my sidearm and flicked on my flashlight as Rob took out his large buck knife and stood beside me. We scanned the tree line, but we didn't see anything. We continued scanning the tree line, calling out for another 10 minutes before we decided to get the fire going again and wait until dawn to search the area. We didn't hear another whistle for the remainder of the early morning. As dawn broke, Rob and I searched the area. We found two pairs of boot prints in the fresh mud. We decided to head back home, get some rest, and return later in the day to continue searching. We were only about 200 feet from the clearing when two simultaneous wolf whistles came from behind us. As I turned, I scanned the trees. I didn't see anything at first. But as I looked farther back towards the entrance of the clearing, I saw two silhouettes standing out in the open. We couldn't see any features or clothing as the morning sun was blinding us. I called out and started making my way towards them when they suddenly took off running. I was going to chase them when Rob stopped me. I was puzzled. I said, Rob, what? We're looking for two people and there they are. Stop wasting time. He replied with, stop and think for a second. We're looking for one male adult and one male child. Unless that kid is the next Randy Brewer. There's no way he's that tall at age 11. That's when the realization hit me. He was right. Those two silhouettes obviously were not the two people we were searching for. If I was alone or with another deputy, I would have chased them. But I wasn't willing to put a civilian volunteer in danger. We decided to just continue our way back to the trailhead and debrief the team and sheriff on the events that had transpired. The rest of the hike back to the trailhead was uneventful. We met up with the search team and the sheriff when we arrived as they were getting geared up to head back out. We received a few scoffs and eye rolls when retelling the events that occurred, but the sheriff surprisingly believed our claims. He even had one of the deputies carry an M16 for the remainder of the search. We continued our search for 13 days, never finding the two individuals. A few people claimed they heard wolf whistles while out searching, but I never did hear them again. This mission still haunts me.
I've wondered all these years what happened to those two, and if the two silhouettes had something to do with their disappearance. The Tennessee Wild Man From John Number 97 I was born and raised in East Tennessee, but I'm the furthest thing from a country boy you'll ever meet. I've never, nor will I ever have interest in hunting, fishing, big trucks, or wearing cowboy boots. I mean no offense, but it just isn't my thing. Being raised in the area, I've heard my fair share of local urban legends, and frankly, I've never put an ounce of thought into them. It just seems like campfire stuff, in my opinion. My dad is from East Tennessee, but my mom is from Ohio. My dad got me started on mountain biking whenever I was pretty young, and it quickly became a bit of an addiction of mine. As anyone who lives in East Tennessee knows, we had an unseasonably warm winter, meaning that you could go biking much later in the season than you would usually be able to. On the second week of December, I was ready to go on a Saturday morning ride, but my dad, being the supervisor over several large companies, and my sister, frankly, having no interest that day, I realized I was going to be flying solo, which wasn't really a big deal. I mean, it's not like it's the first time I've been biking by myself. I pulled up to the parking area of a local state park, and I was going to ride some of the bike-slash-horse trails, as opposed to going to my usual bike park, called Windrock. It was a particularly gloomy day, and honestly a bit muddy, but I wasn't going to let it get in my way, because I knew cold weather was coming, and I wanted to get in one more ride before it got too cold. The state park, which usually has a lot of hikers and even horse riders, was particularly empty that day, so I found a bit of tranquility in that. The trails were certainly nothing too crazy, so I was just taking it easy for once. I began to notice some strange rustling sounds to the left of me, but I wasn't too concerned about it. After all, you always hear some kind of animal in the woods while you're riding, but this was quite a bit louder than that. But I understood there were bears in the area, so if anything, I was just on a bit of a higher guard. As I continued on my gloomy ride, the noises never did stop at any time. After a while, I'd pulled a bit off the trail to stand there and take a bit of a breather and to rehydrate. It was then that I saw something, something much taller than me, meaning it had to be well over six feet tall. It was covered in matted and wet black hair, facial features like nothing I've ever seen in my life, and it was breathing with a snarling growl at the back of its throat. Not knowing what in God's name I was looking at, I slowly slipped everything back into the pack that I had mounted under my seat, and as quickly as I could, I pedaled with all my might. No matter how fast or hard I rode, it kept up with little to no effort. I was quite literally convinced that it was eventually going to make a diving leap at my back, and that would be the end of me. However, after what seemed like over half an hour, I came out of the trail entrance and back into the parking area. I didn't even bother mounting my bike onto the back of my car. Rather, I opened up the trunk lid and just shoved it in, shutting my door and getting the heck out of there. I've recently purchased a road bike, as I no longer know if I'll ever go mountain biking again. At least, not while I live in East Tennessee, anyway. I've always called stories of cryptids and creatures in the woods nonsense, but take it from probably the biggest skeptic you've ever spoken to. 
these things are real and you need to be careful. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. It always wears a mask from blossoms and blazes. I live in New York State. I don't recall what age I was exactly when it began, but I do know it began with me waking suddenly in the night, only to be greeted by a large, solid black figure. No features were visible, just a silhouette. I tried exclaiming, but all that came out was barely a wheeze. I couldn't move for what seemed like an eternity but it had to have been just a few seconds, a minute at most. Just a little kid, watching as this large black humanoid thing stood before me. When I could finally move, I bolted for my parents' room, not daring to look back, tears stinging my eyes. I charged in, catching my mom off guard, who snapped awake. Honey, what happened? She asked, mostly still asleep. I just looked at her, I couldn't say a thing. I didn't want to say anything. I clung on to her, but she got up and brought me back towards my room. I refused to go in until the lights were turned on. She was confused, but obliged. I was put to bed and slept with the lights on for a while. Eventually, a year passed by without incident. One night, I tried sleeping with my lights off again. Bad choice. A very bad choice. I was met with the same figure, large, black, featureless. Dread set in, stripping me of my ability to move. Moments passed by. When I could finally move again, I once more darted for my parents' room, heart beating fast, yet I was somewhat calmer than the first time. My mom responded to my panic with a delay this time. Just as before, they sent me back to my room. When I made it back to my doorway alone, I didn't dare to look. I reached a hand into my doorway, tentatively flicking on a light switch right in the doorway, turning on some Christmas lights that my dad had put up as an attempt to make me sleep with my main light off more. But it was gone. The thing was gone. My mom stopped by my room and sat with me a bit. As soon as she left, I turned on my main lamp. My room was at last fully illuminated. I went back to sleep. About seven years passed without incident after that, until recently. It started up again, but this time it was worse, way worse. I was in my teens then. I began confidently sleeping with my lights off, but not without minor lighting, for about two years now, having no issues other than nightmares. But then the summer of 2020 rolled in, my family had used money originally intended for Disney World to buy a camper, which will be important later. One night in the beginning of the summer, after my first year of high school, I woke up from a nightmare, only to be met by more torment. It wore a mask and what seemed to be a black cloak that covered most of its body. The mask seemed to be modeled after a witch, 
something you might see during Halloween, but with an over-exaggerated nose, a tan color complete with warts like a stereotypical hag. No features were visible but the mask. The thing gripped me with claw-like hands, aggressively slamming me against my bed. Fury surrounded it. I couldn't move. I couldn't speak. I couldn't even see straight. I was helpless, just silently praying it would stop. It must have only been a few seconds, but every second was terrifying. I willed my eyes to shut, and it stopped suddenly. When I opened my eyes again, the thing was gone. So my lights went back on for a few nights. Another month passed by. It was now about August, if I recall correctly. My family and I went on a camping trip at Allegheny State Park to take the new camper on another test run, needing a break from home. Staying home so long had been really rough on my family, having lost both our grandfathers at the beginning of the whole mess. So we set out to enjoy some time camping in a beautiful state park. That was also said to have a lot of paranormal activity, which had my mom, my sister, and I rather excited. We've always been fascinated by that stuff. The first day or two had been relaxing, peaceful. This might be important to mention, but my sister and I share a bunk bed in the camper. She has the top bunk and I have the bottom. There's a curtain hanging from the ceiling that veils the entrance for privacy and such. Next to the bunks is the door to the bathroom, and then the way to the main area of the camper, and the master bedroom where my parents sleep is on the other side of the camper. Anyway, it was the second night, if I recall correctly. I had gone to sleep after watching an episode of a collective favorite TV show of my family. I slept for a bit, until I was awakened again. I found myself being violently shaken. The thing seemed to have tagged along with us for this trip. I knew it was the same entity, even though it now instead wore a jester mask, complete with bells, black and white. The hands were gloved, black gloves that shook me. I tried yelling for my parents or even my sister. Nothing but a rasp came out. I managed to blink at one point and once again it stopped. The thing vanished again. I believe when I looked around the clock read 2 something am. I stood from my bed, skittishly exiting my nook and sitting down on one of the seats by the camper's table. My mother noticed me awake and asked, what's up, as she peeked out of the master bedroom. Nothing, I mumbled. Just a bad dream, I added, lying, but I didn't care. It wouldn't matter if I told her anyway. I climbed back into my bed, trying to fall back to sleep. I finally did. After that experience, I was safe until winter and late fall, where the experiences resumed once more. But what I don't understand is why those experiences now happen to me monthly. Once every month, since December, I think, I get these two or three identical scratches on my lower torso after having these episodes. My nightmares revolve around a jester mask. It hasn't shaken me since the experience during a camping trip, but I still see it, clad in a jester outfit with ringing bells and a sinister grin. Recently, well, in my second most recent encounter, I didn't directly see the thing, more so just heard the ringing of the bells, once again around 2 a.m. But the jingling of the bells came from an odd location. I could hear those darn bells ringing above my head, like the thing had tried its best to get closer to me, 
crawling just out of the range of the cross that hangs on my wall. I didn't make a sound. I didn't move. My vision blurred out and went dark. Next thing I knew, it was gone. When I awoke in the morning, I spotted those three identical scratches going down my lower torso, fading off, thin and orderly, too far apart to be from my family cats. It scares me. This now brings me to my most recent experience, which was probably one of the worst of them. This was last month, January 2021. I thought the new year would bring relief, but it seems I was mistaken. Once again, my lights were off, my room illuminated by a small lamp, but that was even in the far corner of my room, casting an eerie blue glow. I was asleep on my stomach facing my wall. I found myself unable to move, awakened by something. The orange glow from a lava lamp I got for my sister was in my sight. I heard a voice. It sounded female, quiet, and seemingly terrified. I don't know if it was one voice or many, but there was something off about it. Maybe it was the quiet echo-like quality of it, but it just wasn't right. I swear I heard it calling for my help, demanding I wake up and face them. Help me, help me, we're under attack, we're going to die. This wasn't right. I was worried, deeply scared. Deep down I knew I shouldn't move. I should try and pretend I was still sleeping. I shouldn't listen to them. There was something wrong with this on so many levels. But the voice persisted. Come on, wake up. Why are you just lying there? Help. The voice kept pressing, getting harsher. I knew whatever this voice was coming from wasn't human. I couldn't listen to it. I sometimes wonder what would have happened if I had listened to it. I forced myself to close my eyes and the voices stopped. When I opened my eyes again, I looked around. There was no one there. I drifted off to sleep again, and I woke up the next morning. I once again found scratches. Call it a nightmare, call it my imagination, call it insanity, whatever. I could feel those times it shook me or slammed me. It was crystal clear. Believe me or not, that's for you to decide. But if anyone knows what this is or why it's happening to me, please tell me. I just want to know how to make it stop. I've now been praying every night to try and avoid encountering this thing, but sometimes it's to no avail. I'm just glad to finally share this with someone. It's like weight off of my shoulders. If I have another experience, I can share if you want. I guess one isn't even safe in their own bed. Meridian, Texas Skinwalker From An Anonymous on 4chan I have a recent skinwalker encounter I'd like to get off my chest. Now, I'm not the best writer, and I've spent some time pre-writing this to ensure the details are all included. I'm going to forewarn you. It's not really that exciting, as no one died, and for that I'm fortunate. I'm 24 years old, and a biologist currently finishing up my PhD at a top Baptist university in Central Texas. I've been in the state for a few years now. However, originally, I came from up north. I've made it more than halfway through the program, and I'm finishing up my research projects in preparation to graduate with my PhD. My research focuses on mosquito-borne illnesses, 
and I intend to utilize my PhD and my research interests as a ticket to direct commission as a medical entomologist for the army. A lot of my research consists of fieldwork. This includes mosquito larvae collections. As I conduct a lot of fieldwork, I often find myself in remote places, including state and national parks. Over the last few years, I've been collaborating with a former military medical entomologist. The reason I had this encounter was fueled by the collaboration I had with this entomologist. During our collaborative work, I've traveled to mostly every state park in Central Texas. This includes Fort Parker, which is handily located west of the Piney Woods region of Texas. The reason I mention this is that I've heard of other cryptid stories including skinwalkers in East Texas, and Fort Parker was a few hours from Piney Woods, where another poster had encountered one. I never saw anything weird up to this point, but I believe what I saw was a skinwalker, due to the sheer proximity to the Piney Woods and the short time it would take to get there. Now, that day, I wasn't in the Piney Woods or Fort Parker. Instead, I had traveled to Meridian State Park. Meridian is in central eastern Texas, south of Dallas, and considered the heart of Bosque County. It was around three hours from Fort Parker and four or five from the Piney Woods region. I was tasked with doing some mosquito larvae surveys to see what species were present, and this had become a routine activity, so I thought nothing of it. The park was eerily deserted for a Sunday morning with a few campsites set up and a few park rangers working. I quickly signed in at the ranger station, showing my collection credentials and was given a parking sticker receipt for my car windshield. The weather was quite good, with a temperature around 74 and partially cloudy skies. I parked my car at one of the parking lots next to the lake, specifically next to Lakeside Campground Premium Shelter 4. I had counted no more than five cars, and from memory remember seeing a bunch of Taiwanese tourists. I applied some bug spray. As a biologist, I've learned a lot about mosquito-borne illness, tick-borne illness, and I wouldn't be a happy camper to be on the receiving end of any pathogen. I grabbed my rucksack out of my trunk, as well as my collection gear, which included my larval dipper, strainer, Eppendorf tubes, 50-milliliter conical tubes, etc. Now, I'm usually legally carrying when I go into state parks, due to being from the north originally and having to deal with predators. However, on that day, I chose not to bring my 9mm because it was so humid. My original plan was to hike the Bosque Trail and cross over onto the Shinnery Ridge Trail, sampling any streams I passed. I started out on the Civilian Conservation Corps Bridge and made my way north on the Bosque Trail. It was pretty amazing at first. The forest was alive with insect activity, bird calls, and a slight breeze which rustled the trees. The Bosque Trail at this point crosses over into the smaller Little Forest Junior Trail, which is about 0.8 miles long. I stopped at Wildflower Field, as it was the first time I visited the park, and I wanted to see some of the sights, but the field was mostly dead. The wildflowers had been trampled, withered, and covered in weeds. Reluctantly, I continued along the trail and saw maybe one other person the quarter mile I was on the Junior Trail. He asked what I was doing and I briefly explained why I was carrying all that gear. We parted ways, and I eventually made it back on the Bosque Trail. After a while, I stopped at Bee Ledge, which is a rock formation overlooking Lake Meridian. It was an amazing spot, so I decided to take a picture. Now, as I left that ledge, the weird things began to happen. 
These things would continue to intensify as I went down the trail. A quarter mile from the bee ledge, I started to encounter large objects blocking the trail path. Several logs seemed to have been dragged onto the trail. Additionally, fallen trees were spread out along the next quarter mile stretch. Crossing over them was quite difficult, and there were a lot of them. This continued for several hundred feet until the trail steeply went up the side of the mountain. It seems that at some point the rangers had carved out stone stairs into the rock face. However, they were deteriorated, and at this point, hard to traverse. The trail had a long railing made from what looked to be outdoor power cord. The disrepair continued to intensify as I made my way deeper onto the trail. At the start, the trail markers were shiny metallic rectangles with a blue indicator nailed to trees. However, they soon transitioned into just blue spray paint on the bark. I constantly kept getting lost on the trail. Now, I'm not a person who gets lost easily. I've had a lot of hiking experience and consistently went on collections in various state parks. Upon reaching the first stream, I crouched to unpack my rucksack and started to collect larvae using the dipper. The water wasn't that deep. It wasn't flowing and had become stagnant with a deep brownish color. Using my larval dipper, I collected water and strained it for mosquito larvae. I made several collections and ultimately found several species including Culex pipiens, Quinquefasciatus, a very common southern species. After taking my samples, I carefully packed my rucksack to ensure the samples wouldn't be disturbed during transit. From experience, if it's too shaky, they won't be able to float at the water's surface and breathe, ultimately leading to their death. It's much easier to identify an adult mosquito versus a larva, and I didn't want to have to identify 100 dead larvae. As I continued to venture forth, the trail started to get worse and worse. It reached a point where I became teed off, and I thought to myself, why the heck does it look this way? What are the rangers doing out here? I started to take GPS-tagged pictures, which I could pass off to the rangers for trail repair operations. At this point, I doubted that any common person, let alone a weekend hiker, would be able to successfully navigate the trail, and I thought it posed a significant safety risk. Continuing onward down the trail, I reached a dense area of woods. It seemed that out of nowhere, the trail entered a thick brush and stayed in it for a while. The thick brush had minimal undergrowth but darkened the trail due to the thick canopy created by the overlapping trees. Now, I am a religious person, thinking back. I should have realized that darkness ultimately relates to evil and should have been forewarned of continuing. Entering those dense woods seemed to have transformed everything around me, not physically, but in a sense where it felt different. The bird calls disappeared, the insects were silent, and the trees were not rustling anymore. Slightly alarmed, I continued onward. I was approximately an eighth of the way through the Bosque Trail and had several more streams needed to be collected, which would take several hours. By then, it was 1 p.m., after a while, I felt as if I was being watched, and I started to get very anxious. I'm not a paranoid person, but I had a very strong feeling I was being watched. I usually don't get feelings like this, so when I experience them, it's usually wise to trust them. I scanned the area and didn't see anything, so I continued onward. There was still no noise, so I increased my pace so I could get out of this creepy area quickly. Soon I reached a second stream and decided to sample it. 
Like the first, the water was dark and stagnant. I unpacked my gear and quickly worked to collect samples. I found a few varied insect larvae, including several mosquito larvae and several dragonfly larvae. I removed the dragonfly larvae as they kill mosquito larvae, and if I had left them all, the mosquitoes would have been dead before I returned to campus. As I was packing up, I started to smell a stagnant copper smell. It's hard to explain, but the best explanation is a mixture of blood, roadkill, and death. I'm having a difficult time writing this next statement, but I'll give it my best go. As a man of science, I've learned a lot about the biology of living creatures. I've been able to extract mosquito blood mills and determine the blood mill host species using mitochondrial DNA. I've gene edited and made transgenic mosquitoes with edited receptors. I believe in a rational explanation for everything, as I've experienced a structured order to nature. At first, I freaked out a little bit internally, but had a strong belief that some armadillo decided to die near the trail, and his decomposing corpse was responsible for the smell. The trail was still in a thick part of brush, so not seeing a corpse wasn't too alarming. I continued down the trail, heading toward the northern bend in the Bosque Trail, which can be seen on the trail map. Upon reaching the northern bend, I stopped for a few seconds. I still felt like I was being followed, but I couldn't smell the stagnant copper anymore. So I partially relaxed, looking at the map, then continued onward, southwestward, down the trail. After a short while, the smell returned. I was far enough from the stream that it would be very unlikely that it wafted this far. This startled and concerned me, as it isn't normal for so many corpses to be near trails, and I've never experienced something like this before. I reached a small bridge and the thick forest started to clear out, where I could see for a short distance between the trees. I stopped for a minute to look at the map and my phone as the trail had sort of dissipated. The bridge had a small stream running underneath it, but I reluctantly still felt awkward, so I didn't sample it. While looking for where the trail continued, I found a large black object standing in my peripheral vision, about 300 feet away. My eyes adjusted to it, and the image focused into what appeared to be a person standing six feet tall. However, the face was wrong, and it was covered in fur, not clothing. I looked away for a second and looked back. The object had disappeared. Inside, I was freaking out but soon I found where the trail started back up and the object was standing in the opposite direction when I saw it. I noped down the trail and ensured I kept my eyes scanning near where I saw that object. My biggest concern at this point was something was following me, possibly a large animal, and I'd rather not make the six o'clock news. While continuing down the trail, the smell still lingered and I saw it again, still about 300 feet away. This time I noticed that it was some sort of animal. I assumed it was a deer standing on its back feet. I stopped to observe it and I noticed it was walking on two feet, very awkwardly, and the fur seemed to have large missing spots. I knew it wasn't humans, as humans don't walk that way, not even if they're injured. It had a very primal, animalistic walk. I'd blinked and at some point it disappeared. I got really spooked and almost started sprinting down the trail. I covered a mile of harsh terrain in about five minutes. I made it to a clearing where I could see across the lake and toward where I'd parked. 
At this point, I could hear something from the direction I came in. It seemed to be slowly getting louder. Bill, where'd go? Bill, go, you. My mind pieced together that it was saying, Bill, where'd you go? I've no clue who Bill is, and the voice didn't sound human. It was as if an animal's voice box was being forced to pronounce human words. It sounded raspy and primal. This scared the absolute ever-loving crap out of me. I kept a steady pace down the trail. I kept scanning my surroundings and cursing at myself for not bringing my 9mm. The smell intensified, and I'm pretty sure it was following me closely. I made due diligence to ensure I wasn't being outmaneuvered or flanked. Whatever it was, it was hunting me, and I had around 70 pounds of gear on me. Ultimately, I was a slow-moving target. I eventually made it to the eastern campsites marked with a picnic bench on the map and felt a sigh of relief. I'm not sure if these things hunt in open terrain, but I would have a good view of it if it left the tree line. To my surprise, there was an older middle-aged lady camped out there. She had a dog with her, and the dog was going absolutely nuts barking. At first, I thought I spooked the dog, but after looking at it for a while, it was barking at something in the tree line, not me. After a while, it whimpered and ran away from the tree line and toward the lady's tent. She called out his name. Let's say it was Fido because I can't remember it exactly. I gave a distant hello wave and continued to awkwardly run down the trail carrying my gear. It was quite peaceful and quiet for a short distance down the trail, and eventually I reached a road. I felt guilty about how that lady was probably going to get eaten by whatever that was, and I felt fortunate that I escaped. About half an hour later, I stumbled out onto a forest surface road. The trail seemed to wind onto the road and just abruptly end. Now from my recollection, this is the road on the southwestern corner of the map, which parallels the trail. The smell began to come back and I started to panic again. This time I could hear, Where? Fido? This really freaked me out, because whatever was saying that was mirroring what the lady had said. Now the trail didn't have a good indicator of where it started back up, I was freaking out as the noise was increasing. I started to head where I thought north was on the road, and eventually I figured out it was the wrong way as it didn't follow the contour of the road on the map. I double-timed it back, finding a park ranger's truck driving down the road towards me. I flagged him down and asked him where the Bosque Trail started back up. To my surprise, the trail actually backs onto the road, where you have to walk down the road following spray-painted dots and eventually it goes back into the woods. I'm sure the ranger knew what was up, as he was very brief and told me to stay on the trails. I asked him if there were any predators in the woods, which I should worry about. His eyes got real big and he told me to stay on the trails again, not to deviate and to probably call it a day. He took off speeding down the road, and I awkwardly sprinted southward, eventually finding the trail again. The whole time in the distance, I could hear, Where trail back start? That thing was mocking me 
and was stalking me while I talked to the ranger. I hauled tail down the trail and eventually reached a clearing, this clearing being the southern bend of the trail, where it curves off east into a straight line. The area was quite open, almost reminding me of a rice field, as there were swamps on either sides of the trail, and it was elevated on a grass mound eight feet up and ten feet wide. I continued in a sprint across the mound and reached the end of the trail where it looped to my car. When I made it to the bend, which led toward where I parked, I stopped and looked back. It was standing on the mound near the forest opening, maybe 200 feet away, just staring at me. It wasn't on two legs anymore, it was on all fours. The face honestly looked like the descriptions I've seen before of skinwalkers. It was sunken in, red dots and black eyes. It also seemed to be smirking. I booked it to my car, threw my ruck in the trunk, and literally didn't stop until I reached my campus. Now I'm not sure if it's real. I'd packed a good meal, lots of water, and wasn't dehydrated. I'm in good mental health, or as best as I can be in a PhD program. It wasn't a deer, a bear, or anything I've seen before. Since then, I've not wanted to go in the woods, or go collecting, rightfully so, without another person. I'm sorry if this was uneventful, but I really wanted to get it off my chest. With that, we're at the end of this week's episode of Unexplained Encounters. Don't worry, I'll be back soon with more scary stories for you to enjoy. If you don't like to wait, subscribe to Darkness Prevails on YouTube to catch new stories sooner. If you want to hear me read your story, send it to me at darkstories.org. Before I go, help us spread the word and reach new listeners. Just share this podcast with your friends and family, follow us on Spotify, and or review us on iTunes. Thank you. Until next time, everyone, remember, this world is a strange one. So stay safe out there, and stay creepy.